Welcome to the High on Life podcast, where it's all about empowering you with the medicine and the mindset to healthfully lose weight and thrive beyond the scale. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha High. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss and beyond. Remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. So be sure to seek medical support from a qualified health professional. You're listening to episode 82 of the High on Life podcast, Five PCOS Myths. Now, before we dive in, I want to tell you that I have been referred women to my practice with PCOS for many, many years. They've been referred for help with their weight. They've been referred for PCOS management, for metabolic health. And I have seen that women with PCOS are typically told two things. One, go on the pill. Two, lose weight. But beyond that, they're left with so much confusion and very little direction on what else can I do to manage my symptoms and how else can I improve my health and fertility and how exactly do I lose weight? So my team and I decided that we needed to offer better solutions for women who are left Googling, trying to figure out which diet is the best and which supplements should they be taking. And I'm very excited to share our brand new course. It's called the PCOS Solution. It is a six-week self-directed course that addresses all the lifestyle factors, nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress. We go into supplements. We talk about mindset to thrive with PCOS. This course is going to be offered for 297 Canadian dollars. But until September 15th, we are offering all of my podcast listeners $100 off using the code podcast 23. So if you are a woman with PCOS, if you have a friend with PCOS, please share this with them. It is so holistic. It covers everything. We really go into all of it. You have lifetime access to the resources and you can ask us all of your questions inside the course. So it is located at sashahighmd.com forward slash PCOS dash solution and using code podcast 23 for $100 off until September 15th. All right, let's dive in. All right, welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I'm bringing back Teddy Nikova and you have heard her before. She's been a guest on the show. She was a guest on two of the most downloaded episodes and she's back today to address five PCOS myths and give you some really, really concrete guidance on how you can improve your nutrition and lifestyle with PCOS. So here's my ask. If you have a friend who's struggling with PCOS, if you have a sister, a family member, a mother, a a girlfriend that you share this episode because we really just want to make make it more actionable. Like what can you do? And I think there's a lot of confusion around PCOS and a lot of women who are given this diagnosis and then don't know what they can do to help themselves aside from just go on the pill. And so that's what we wanted to cover today. So Teddy, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to really dive into debunking some of the biggest myths around PCOS today. So thank you for having me me back. Yeah. Awesome. And Teddy, can you actually, I, I didn't tell you this, but can you just share a little bit of your background? Cause you did a whole master's in like women's health and tell us a little bit about your experience with that, like women's health and PCOS before we jump, jump in. Absolutely. So personally, I struggled with PCOS in my early twenties and I often felt really frustrated at that time. I was actually doing my master's as a dietitian, and I was frustrated with the, with the lack of solutions out there. And 
just the advice from medical professionals just to go on the pill. And that's when I decided that I would love to be an advocate for women and in my dietitian career and in my coaching career to support women in managing their PCOS. So while I was in my master's, I decided to do a specialty in women's health and to go deeper into some of these conditions that affect women, such as uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And now in my day-to-day practice, I get to collaborate with women with managing their PCOS in the most empowering way and finding permanent solutions where they can really thrive way beyond their PCOS and their PCOS doesn't need to be, doesn't need to control their lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I actually didn't know about your personal history. So thanks for sharing that. Like you've, you've walked this walk, right? So that just gives it even more legitimacy. Okay. I realized we could have gotten to this point in the podcast and there are some people who are listening who are like, what are they talking about? What is PCOS? So let me just give uh, a little bit of background. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it is an endocrine reproductive disorder that affects up to 13% of reproductive aged women around the world. So it is one of the most common endocrine uh, disorders affecting women. And it's characterized by abnormal levels of androgens, which are the male sex hormones of testosterone and DHEAS. And these androgens are produced by the ovaries. And at the same time, women with PCOS often will develop insulin resistance, which is when the body's cells are no longer listening to the insulin signal, which is also at the root of metabolic syndrome, which you have heard me talk about on this podcast before. And so we are talking to women who may be dealing with PCOS because it affects so many women and because generally the recommendations are that women should go on the pill. And I I just want to, you know, preface everything that we're talking about today by saying, I'm not saying don't, Absolutely, you need to listen to your healthcare provider. And the purpose of going on birth control is because oftentimes women with PCOS will have abnormal or absent menstrual cycles. And by normalizing some of the female hormones using the pill, it causes them to have more regular menstrual cycles, which is really essential for protecting the uterine lining and preventing endometrial cancer. So, absolutely, you know, if that's been the recommendation, you, I want, we all want you listening to your healthcare provider. I guess where we have found in the women that we've worked with is that oftentimes the recommendations don't, don't go far beyond that. And a lot of women are left with like, well, what should I be eating for my PCOS? And should I be exercising? And like, what do I do? Like, how do I manage the excess hair? And how do I manage all these other symptoms? And so that's where we really wanted to help women. And that's why we also created the course, the PCOS solution. And we're going to link that at the end of the episode too, because there's just so much online and you can spend all your time on the internet trying to search how to deal with PCOS and end up feeling very defeated because there's a lot of like, right, this is right to do. This is wrong to do. There's a lot of fluff out there. So we just wanted to distill all of that and share on this episode of the podcast. And also, if you do want to take this work deeper, that's where the course is going to be so helpful. So Teddy is going to answer some of the top five myths around PCOS. And that's really what we're going to cover today, right? Yes, I'm so excited to get into. These are probably the five most common myths we hear all the time with our clients. I'm excited to get into it. Yes. Okay. So myth number one, we're going to start with the nutrition myths. Myth number one, you need to cut out carbs. 
if you have PCOS and that's a new nutrition recommendation, true or false? I guess if it's a, <laughs> I guess if it's a myth, we already know it's false. So yes, Teddy, what do you think? Absolutely. It is completely a myth. And before we get to why it's false, I want to talk a little bit more about the physiology with PCOS. So like Sasha mentioned, women with PCOS are often insulin resistant. So what is insulin? Insulin is a storage hormone that's produced by your pancreas, and it plays a role in blood sugar regulation. I like to think of insulin as a key that unlocks your cell and lets blood sugar into that cell to be used as energy. So when cells are insulin resistant, that key, that insulin is just not unlocking that cell. So your pancreas works harder and produces more and more insulin to get that cell unlocked. And in that process, what what happens is this leads to something called hyperinsulinemia, which means that you have high levels of insulin in your bloodstream. This insulin is a problem because it's a trigger for the ovaries to produce androgens, those male sex hormones, which leads to many of the symptoms with PCOS, such as the irregular periods, excess hair growth, increased cravings. And also when the blood, when your blood sugar is all out of whack and it's out of of balance. This can lead to peaks and valleys in your blood sugar, which can lead to more cravings, much more hunger signals. And that's why often women with PCOS struggle with weight. So, so carbohydrates, they break down the most quickly into blood sugar compared to the fats and the proteins. So the answer from the media is if we just cut out the carbs, then we can manage PCOS better. The truth is cutting out carbs doesn't necessarily mean better blood sugar control. And I'm going to give you the three main reasons why it just doesn't work with managing your PCOS. So number one is the role of unrefined carbohydrates is actually to help with blood sugar control. So let's first talk about what an unrefined carb is versus a Mm -hmm. refined carb. So think of an unrefined carb as it's the closest to your whole food form. So it's like a potato or peas or squash. For that potato to become in a potato chip, which would be a refined carb, it would have to go through several steps in processing to become a potato chip. So when we have the unrefined carb in its whole food form, like a potato, it's high in fiber, which helps slow down the digestion and support blood sugar control. It also unrefined carbohydrates, the indigestible parts, they actually ferment in the gut and form something called short-chain fatty acids, which play a role in improving your cell's insulin sensitivity and it helps with blood sugar regulation. Yeah. Okay. So let's just, because I think there's a lot of terminology around this. So I just want to make sure everyone is clear. So when Teddy says unrefined carbohydrates, other language for that might be complex carbohydrates and correct me if I'm wrong, right? But complex carbs, whole food carbs. So you want to just think of something, a carbohydrate, which could be from vegetables, could be from fruit, could be from grains, legumes in its whole form in as much of a whole form as possible, as opposed to refined. The other word for it might be processed. Okay. So refined carbohydrates or processed carbohydrates. Think of anything that has gone through our, you know, food industrialization process, right? Where, where things have been now put through machinery to ground up to flour and put into an alternative form for our consumption. 
those things would be called refined or processed carbohydrates. So that's the differentiation. And so benefits to having those complex or unrefined carbohydrates because of the fiber, because of the the short chain fatty acids being formed in our gut and improvements in insulin sensitivity. Okay, go on. Thank you. Absolutely. And a recommendation right off the bat, if you are struggling with PCOS or just listening to this and you want to improve your overall health, is just to always choose the unrefined carbohydrates most often in your day-to-day. If that means swapping out white pasta for a whole, whole wheat pasta or your white bread for a nice hearty whole grain bread. So these are just easy swaps you can make to choose more of those unrefined carbs day-to-day. Okay. The second reason why cutting out the carbs just doesn't work is your brain actually needs blood sugar or also called glucose for energy. Therefore, when you're consuming a really small amount of carbs, your body's smart and it's going to start to break down other nutrients to create blood sugar through a process called the kid, the liver and kidneys complete called gluconeogenesis. So your body is going to utilize parts of proteins, the amino acids, which is a part of the protein, and additional elements of food components and, to actually create blood sugar. So it, the theory of if we don't eat the carbohydrates, then we're never spiking insulin actually doesn't hold much true for that reason. Yeah. 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 Okay. So our brain needs it. We, there's a role for unrefined carbohydrates. And the last, like the last point is just how most people, like, I think hopefully people know this about me. I'm very practical. And so we have to live in real life, right? So there are people, there's people who do carnivore diets. There's people who do like keto for their whole life, but for the vast majority of people doing a very low carbohydrate diet, just isn't really doable, right? It's very difficult to live out, you know, when you have family or you socialize or you have other people in your life. It's it's challenging. What would you say to that? Absolutely, Sasha. It goes back to whenever you're making any lifestyle adjustment is asking yourself, can I sustain this for the rest of my life? Yes. And if eating chicken and broccoli for every meal is sustainable for you, then okay, potentially that's something to consider. But for the majority of us, it is just too restrictive to say that you're not consuming any sources of carbohydrates because it's just unsustainable. And then it's going to lead to that restrict binge cycle, which I know you've talked about, Sasha, which can lead you feeling, lead to weight cycling and just feeling more discouraged with your PCOS. Yeah. And I think like the other thing I have with this is when people think like, carbs like it's this entire macronutrient group that people start to think is like bad right when you try to do no carb and in my experience i got to the point when i was like trying to eat super clean and not have carbs where i would be terrified of eating a banana but of course when i'm binging i'm binging on like chips and something totally like totally highly processed right and i think that experience is so common for so many women i've certainly heard it where you're afraid to eat an apple because in your head, like fruit is a carb and carbs are bad. But then of course, when you're binging, you're binging on like, you know, other junk, right? And it's, you're not binging on the apples anymore. Now you're like swinging so far down the opposite of the spectrum in terms of like carbohydrates. And so I think when we start to villainize this whole entire food group, it really puts us into messed up, like disordered eating territory. So we're not saying carbs are bad and that is a myth. And there are unrefined complex carbohydrates that can be really, really helpful. 
for us. Okay. So tell us how, like, what, what would your suggestions be if um, someone's kind of trying to approach this and trying to understand like which carbohydrates, how many carbohydrates, what should I be choosing? What does that look like? Absolutely. So I have really three really easy strategies to make carbohydrates work for your eating to support your PCOS. Like I mentioned, choosing the unrefined carbohydrates most often uh, versus the refined carbohydrates. So you're getting more fiber, you're getting more vitamins and minerals. And really the research shows the culprits for worsening insulin resistance is the refined carbohydrates. So like Sasha mentioned, foods that have been highly processed. Think of flour, added sugar, highly refined foods, I like baked goods. These foods are not bad. And it's important to incorporate these foods as well in a balanced eating approach. It's just thinking of what most of the time looks like with your meals. So the second step is to balance out your unrefined carbs with a protein and fat source with your meal. So proteins could be eggs, chicken, Greek yogurt, your fats might be nuts and seeds, olive oil, nut butters, cheese. So the fats and proteins are going to help slow down the digestion. And for example, let's compare, for example, if you ate one chicken breast by itself, and you compare that to the blood sugar spike when you ate one chicken breast with avocado and some brown rice, the blood sugar spike uh, would actually look quite similar. Mm -hmm. And it just shows us that once we combine some protein and fats with our carbohydrates in a meal, it really does help stabilize that blood sugar and helps avoid those peaks and valleys. Mm -hmm. And the third tip is meal sequencing. So what this means is actually consuming your protein, fat, and veggies, especially those non-starchy veggies. So these are vegetables that are lower in carbohydrate or starch content and higher in water content, like your tomatoes, your peppers, your cucumbers. So consuming the protein, fat, and non-starchy vegetables before more of the carbohydrate-rich foods like your potatoes and your rice, it can actually help in reducing the blood sugar spike, especially after your meal. So that's a great strategy to actually consume protein, fat, and non-starchy vegetables first. So for example, if you're having a meal with broccoli, eggs, and some potato salad, you potentially would have the broccoli and eggs first, and then the potato salad. And this can help blunt that blood sugar spike after your meal. Mm -hmm. So great. Okay. So three tips, choosing the unrefined carbs first, balancing out with protein and then consider meal sequencing. I would add a fourth one. And mainly because this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine is just don't drink, don't drink your sugar. And my main pet peeve is the Starbucks sugary drinks because I see so many teenage girls and my best friend has two teenage girls and they drink drink these gigantic Starbucks drinks that are just pure sugar. And they're often in like obscene colors as well, I will add, right? So these are just, these are low hanging fruit just to be aware that that like caramel macchiato or like unicorn drink, I can't remember what it was that um, Starbucks came out with a few years ago, but it was like a unicorn drink and it was like pink and blue or something, but just be aware, right? That, you know, maybe eat your calories instead of drinking them. Just my suggestion, because I think that this is an area where there's just like a, it's almost like there's a blind spot. And it's like this really popular thing among young girls, especially and PCOS tends to first kind of raise its head around puberty and in teenage years. So if there aren't any teenage girls, I love you. Please consider, please consider not drinking those sugary drinks at Starbucks. Okay. Myth number two. 
<laughs> anything you want, you're like absolutely I agree with you and that's yeah a great a great easy low-hanging fruit of just exactly. swapping those sugary drinks with just more so whole food forms just so you feel more satisfied and control that blood sugar as well yeah yeah okay I'm not trying to take everyone's fun away I know that it's like you know you get out to go with your girlfriends and you go for a walk and you drink your big gigantic size <laughs> drink but you know there are other things potentially to have instead Okay, myth number two, and this is a big one in the nutrition PCOS world as well, is that you need to avoid dairy, gluten, and soy, often called like inflammatory foods. So what would you say to that, Teddy? Absolutely. So this is all over the media. If you go to any PCOS Instagram, they're telling you how you need to be on this dairy-free, soy-free, gluten-free diet. And it can cause a lot of confusion if you're a woman struggling with PCOS, because then you start thinking, okay, so how do I make this work on a daily basis? And really, let's just break it down. The overall research research does not show any benefit of restricting dairy, gluten, or soy, and improving PCOS symptoms. The only time this is going to be recommended if you have a sensitivity or a known condition that impacts the digestion of these foods, such as lactose intolerance or celiac disease, which would require a gluten restriction. And if you do think you have some sensitivity or condition that might impact your digestion, Speak to your doctor about getting you tested for that. That way you're not, you're taking the guessing work out of it. The danger here and why I get frustrated with this is that when we start restricting the gluten, the dairy, the soy, we're actually missing out on key nutrients that are going to actually support in managing your PCOS. Yeah. So I'd love to break down the soy, the dairy, and the gluten, and just give you a really big, a really quick rundown of what we're going to be missing out if we exclude some of these food groups. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about soy. So soy, so for example, it's in edamame beans, tofu, tempeh. It's a source of protein. It's a great source of protein, especially if you're a vegetarian or vegan. It's also a key source of vitamins and minerals such as iron and magnesium. So the worry here and what media portrays is that soy can throw off hormones or cause breast cancer. This is coming about because soy contains phytoestrogens. And these phytoestrogens, they actually mimic soy. Sorry, they mimic uh, estrogen. But phytoestrogens phytoestrogens are actually very weak mimickers. So the research states that there's no significant risk and these phytoestrogens actually impacting your Mm -hmm. estrogen levels. The key here, though, when you're incorporating soy products is to choose less refined, non-genetically modified soy sources. Mm -hmm. So uh, this could include um, non-GMO tofu and tempeh. What I do recommend to limit is the refined sources of soy, such as those mock chicken nuggets and those highly processed soy products that you see on the shelves, those can potentially wreak some havoc as they have been highly processed. However, if we stick to mostly whole food sources that are non-genetically modified, and you'll usually see that on the label, soy products are completely safe to, to, to consume and incorporate into your eating. Okay. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that there is a lot of health washing that happens. And one of the things that I see is 
this is healthier because it's plant-based and it's like these vegetarian burgers or whatever that's recommended. And when you look at the ingredients, you know, it, it looks like they're healthier all over the packaging because they're vegan, all this stuff. And you look at the ingredients and you're like, it's been so highly processed that, you know, I just, I don't believe any of the claims. And I say, I think this is a really important point just to be mindful that the food industry there's a lot of propaganda out there. I mean, not, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's true. There's a lot of health washing on all of our packaging. And so really pointing out that don't be afraid of soy, but be smart about, again, not choosing the highly processed foods, right? And looking for how can I have this in its full form as much as possible. So just buying a chunk of tofu and stir frying it or whatever that might, might look like. So thanks for bringing that up. Absolutely. And then incorporating these soy products, it just allows a sense of freedom because now your reservoir of proteins have increased and you can get a lot more creative in the kitchen with recipes. So that's amazing. Let's go to, let's go to dairy or uh, dairy products. So dairy, again, is if we're restricting dairy, we're losing out on an amazing source of protein. Greek yogurt, kefir, cottage cheese, all of these uh, dairy sources are super high in protein and can be incorporated in so many meals. Dairy also contains a lot of vitamins and minerals uh, that support uh, bone health, such as vitamin D and calcium. So there's a lot of health benefits to actually incorporate dairy into your eating. The worry. The worry is that dairy is going to cause inflammation. So the research actually shows that dairy can actually have an anti-inflammatory effect. What can lead to inflammation is increasing your intake of those high sugar, highly refined products that also contain dairy. So I'm talking about potentially the baked goods, the milk chocolate, what those products might actually impact health and worsen some of the PCOS symptoms if they're consumed regularly. But if we're choosing, what I do recommend is just choosing whole food sources of dairy again. So yogurt, such as Greek yogurt, kefirs, cottage cheese, all of these are going to be very high protein dairy products that can absolutely support PCOS. One note though, if you suffer from acne, and this is a common symptom of high androgens that's experienced in PCOS, the research shows that you may benefit from limiting skim milk products. So what happens is when the fat's taken out of these milk milk products, so for example, when you have skim milk or fat-free yogurt, the androgen levels are actually higher in these fat-free or reduced fat products. So if you do suffer from acne, the recommendation is just to choose the whole uh, milk options rather than the skim or fat-free dairy options. It's so interesting. Okay. So you're wanting to avoid the high sugar dairy. I will add, because I think this is really common and it's another one of my little pet peeves, <laughs> flavored yogurt, flavored yogurt, yes. high, high in sugar. And so we're, when Teddy's making the recommendation, a plain Greek or Balkan style yogurt is going to have high protein and it's not going to have those added sugars. So we're just wanting you to be informed consumers, right? Informed purchaser, purchasers that not all dairy is the same, not all yogurt is the same. And you can just become a little bit more aware that, you know, they, they do add sugar when they are adding flavoring to a lot of these, these products. So. Absolutely, Sasha. And then 
that especially can wreak havoc if we're having a lot of added sugars in these milk milk options that are drinks or yogurts. So mm. that's absolutely something to look out for as well as just choosing the no sugar added options for these dairy products. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about gluten. I think gluten might be the most famous one out of these. I'm sure everyone's seen the gluten-free craze that somewhat died down. Over well, the this is years. another evidence of health washing. Gluten-free equals healthy somehow, right? Not yes. true. Not true, everyone. Not true. Don't take that yeah. context. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So why is it not true? So what happens if we limit or eliminate gluten? If we're eliminating gluten, which is the protein found in some grain products such as wheat, what happens is we're actually reducing our intake of a lot of really nutritious foods, a lot of whole grain products such as uh, whole grain breads and pastas that can give you a significant amount of fiber, essential vitamins, including the B vitamins, which we see that women with PCOS actually may be deficient in. Also, fiber. We're getting, like I mentioned, a lot of fiber, which helps support your blood sugar control and gut health, which can support managing that insulin resistance. The worry here, the worry from the media is that gluten is going to cause inflammation and worsen your PCOS symptoms. So research shows that gluten containing products that are unrefined carbs, like I mentioned, those whole food sources of carbs, such as uh, your bulgur, spelt, buckwheat, all of these whole grains, they're going to actually have an anti-inflammatory effect. They're going to support your gut health and just your overall health and support managing your PCOS. What the research does show is that highly refined carbohydrates, going back to the, the refined carbohydrates, are the products that can cause to increase inflammation, such as those added sugars and flours. So many people, when they eliminate gluten, will say that they feel a lot better when they cut out gluten. I have a theory, and this is what most likely is happening, is that when someone commits to cutting out gluten, they're also cutting back on a lot of refined carbohydrates that they might have been previously having. So they're feeling a lot better, but it might not be because of that gluten in the product. It's probably because they're actually eating a lot less of those refined carbohydrates, which we can see wreak the most havoc. Yeah. And I think a lot of women relate to that where they can recognize, hey, if I cut down on my bread intake, I feel less bloated. I feel a little bit better. Like my body just feels better. I certainly will notice that. And I think everyone, this is where like, I think really listening to your body and just you know, if your body is giving you some clues, like when you eat more of this, you don't feel great. And when you eat less of that, you feel a little bit better and listen, listen to your body. But really it's, I think sometimes what happens with like the gluten-free because of the health washing is that people will switch from like the gluten highly refined bread to the gluten-free highly refined bread, which is just made of like tapioca and potato starch, thinking that's like the healthier alternative. Meanwhile, it's just as refined and not likely going to result in any sort of health improvements. And so again, it's like, you know, don't be afraid to have bulgur as your side dish, right? Like in its whole form and maybe get creative with that. Like, I I don't think I've ever cooked that myself before as I say that, but that might be a nice alternative to like brown rice or, you know, you can try different things rather than villainizing gluten. Just think about, okay, how processed has this food been and how can I consume more of the whole form? 
Absolutely. I agree with you, Sasha, that it's about listening to your body as well and noticing if you're noticing some trends, like you mentioned that if you've been consuming a lot of bread products for, with all your, your meals, switching to another unrefined carbs to see how that feels for you, if that's a bulgur or a quinoa, rather than just deciding to eliminate gluten, which is actually a protein that's found in, in wheat products and other products similar to that, that it, that's really not the solution, but instead listening to your body and, and finding those adjustments that feel best for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So we covered two, the two biggest nutrition myths. So myth number three, and I think this is probably the biggest like yeah. concern or worry that women experience when they get a diagnosis is that you can't get pregnant if you have PCOS. So let's talk about that. Okay. Absolutely not true. Many women with PCOS are still able to get pregnant and have a healthy pregnancy. However, we need to address that women with PCOS do experience a higher rate of infertility due to the hormone imbalances that are occurring occurring with PCOS, especially the high androgens, so the high male sex hormones, which leads to regular irregular periods uh, and less predictable ovulation, which can impact fertility. And like you mentioned, Sasha, this is an issue because it leads women with PCOS to feel really disempowered. And they do feel that they need to have more difficult conversations earlier on or worry more about their fertility as compared to women without PCOS. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, just to kind of give a little bit of background for those who may not be as familiar as Teddy was saying, one of the issues with PCOS is the abnormal, the abnormal like hormonal cycles in the woman's body results in, it can result in anovulation, which means no egg is released or it's very irregular. And so it's very difficult to time, or they can have eggs that aren't like, aren't going to mature properly. And so it's difficult that that can increase the chances of infertility. So those are some of the concerns that women with PCOS may have. But let's talk about like what can happen because as you said, the word is disempowered, like where women feel almost like their body is letting them down or betraying them. And so we always like to leave our women feeling hopeful that there is something that they can do, right? To take back some control. So what what would you say? Absolutely. So the approach that we like to take is a really empowered approach. And what that means is instead of focusing on factors that are sometimes outside of that control of of, of a woman's control is to focus on the factors that you can control to actually improve your fertility. And there is some strong research on action steps that you can take to support improving your fertility with PCOS. So what are the action steps? The first action step that I would recommend is to have a conversation conversation with your doctor if you are trying to conceive about potential medical interventions to support you in, in, in your fertility journey, such as insulin sensitizers, such as metformin is a popular one, supplements that potentially could assist you there's additional hormonal therapy that you can consider. So having a conversation with your doctor so they can support you with potential medical interventions. And then what you can control is the lifestyle factors, such as your balanced eating and adapting an eating approach to manage that insulin resistance and 
this can help lower androgens. Living an active lifestyle, managing your stress, making sure that you have good sleep quality. All of these are controllable factors that make a huge difference and have been shown with research that they can improve your fertility. And in our PCOS solution course, we actually have a whole learning lesson where we break down all the nitty gritty research on what nutrition interventions can support fertility and what research is out there on the action steps, uh, such as a supplements to consider, lifestyle factors to consider to support increasing your fertility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what you started out with is the approach that we like to help women with is focus on what you can control. Because yes, there are going to be things that are outside of your control. um, And that's where we have to practice some radical acceptance, right? You may not like it, but it is, it just is, right? And so we kind of acknowledge what is and we focus on, okay, what can I do to improve my chances to lower insulin levels? So for example, oftentimes when we are investigating women with PCOS and we check their fasting insulin levels, these are the, the individuals I see with often the highest levels of insulin, like the numbers where let's say normal is in the range of like 60, we'll see numbers of 350, 400, 500, like really, really, really high. And so that's what blood work shows. Now, What's, what are you capable of? What is possible? How could you eat in such a way that we could allow those insulin levels to come down? How could you move your body in such a way that we can bring those um, insulin levels down? How could you optimize your sleep, stress, all of that, right? And there are interventions where a lot of these metabolic diseases like PCOS being, you know, an endocrine metabolic disease, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, all kind of fall into that category where lifestyle intervention does make a big difference. And that's, that's really awesome, right? Like that's a really hopeful message that there's a lot that you can do to reduce risk and improve health and optimize. Absolutely. And really the bottom line here is if uh, you're worried or struggling with uh, infertility or, or worry about the future in terms of your fertility is that even though there might be uh, a chance of more difficulty conceiving or getting pregnant, There are a lot of factors, like you mentioned, Sasha, that we do have control over that we can work towards. And from that empowered approach, it really gives you, whoever's listening that's struggling with fertility, it gives you the power seat um, to take control of your PCOS. Mm -hmm. And I know we've worked with, like, we've worked with a lot of PCOS clients within High Metabolic Clinic, within Best Weight. And we will often see women, even before the weight loss happens, where their abnormal menstrual cycles now normalize. And they're they're telling us, and that's really exciting too. They're telling us like, oh my goodness, I'm having monthly periods where I haven't had that for years. And for us, like, that's such tremendous feedback, right? And we talk a lot about non-scale victories. Like what an amazing non-scale victory to realize that now you're ovulating normally. Like, that is such a gift to yourself. And that is possible with a lot of just lifestyle intervention, right. Of, of, um, of working on some of these things that we've talked about. So I, I, you know, I, I also want to be careful that this, this doesn't mean it's a cure, right. And I would never say to someone like, you just need to try harder. That's not at all what we're saying, because there's going to be women who have amazing lifestyle and have great, great, great health behaviors and, you know, still might need to go through surgical fertility treatment. So it's never to, to like make anyone feel bad, but to say, okay, like 
let's just, again, focus on what you can do. And no, it's not a hundred percent guarantee that that means you're going to, you know, go through and have successful pregnancy and all that. We can never guarantee that, but we do know that the evidence suggests that you can improve your chances, right. And you can optimize. So I think that would be the message that I'd want to leave women with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So myth number four is, and this is kind of relevant to what we do. You can't lose weight if you have PCOS and Certainly when I'm doing intakes with our with clients, oftentimes this is a trip like, you know, this is like hypothyroidism, menopause, PCOS are probably the big three medical diagnoses that trip people up, trip women up where they're like, no, no, no I just can't lose weight. I've got PCOS. I can't lose weight because I've got men- I'm postmenopausal. I can't lose weight because I've got hypothyroidism. It's like, well, it's not actually true. We acknowledge the insulin resistance, but let's talk about how, how women with PCOS can still lose weight. Absolutely, Sasha. You said it so well that it's just another way that women are disempowered that because Mm -hmm. they have a diagnosis that there's nothing they can control. And yes, we do see women where they let us know that they can't lose weight. That's it. And what happens in those moments is that their brains get shut off to all the creative possibilities that they can adapt day to day to actually support sustainable weight loss. So let's talk about what's happening. So like you mentioned, women with PCOS, um, there are is higher rates of insulin resistance and inflammation that these factors impact fat storage that women with PCOS often experience more hunger, more intense cravings, especially for highly refined carbohydrates. And all of these processes can favor weight gain. So does that mean that you can't lose weight if you have PCOS? Absolutely not. The key here is to work for your body by managing. Again, it goes back to managing the insulin resistance. So you can manage hunger, manage urges and cravings and support sustainable weight loss. It's just about working for your body. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to share with you three tips for sustainable weight loss with PCOS. Number one, and this is the most important one, is to make sure that you're having protein at every meal. Why is protein so important? So think of protein as your eggs, your Greek yogurt, your cottage cheese, your chicken, your your tofu, your meat. Protein is the key nutrient that's going to shut off hunger. And often what we see with women with PCOS is they actually experience more hunger and again, more intense cravings due to some of these imbalances with hormones and blood sugar. And this can lead to overeating patterns. So just making sure that every single meal that you have has a protein source with it is going to be key. I cannot tell you how much times I've seen women just eat, for example, bread and peanut butter for breakfast with no protein source in sight. And this can absolutely lead to some overeating later in the day. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second tip, I'm going to go back to the unrefined carbohydrates is to reduce day to day, the refined carbohydrates, so those highly processed carbohydrates, like your baked goods, your chips, because a lot of these foods, they drive up a lot of over desire. So 
No one can stop eating at half a cookie or one chip. These foods have been manufactured for you to overeat them. So if those foods are regularly being incorporated into your snacks or into your meals, they're not going to be as good as shutting off hunger. They're going to drive up a lot of over desire. So you're, they're going to release a lot of dopamine uh, from your reward brain, also called your limbic system. And you're going to want more of that food. So it's going to lead to increased cravings and imbalance with fullness and also for you to overeat those foods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like to think of it as just like, you know what, the foods that you choose are either going to create lots of peace in your body, make you feel great and energized, or the foods that you choose can make this whole process a whole lot harder, right? More cravings, more bloating, more lethargy, more sugar crashes, so just choose choose wisely. And that doesn't mean you never have what we call the fun foods, right? The foods that are just have no nutritional value, but they're just, they taste good, like cake or chips or whatever. It's not that you never have those, but you know, just be mindful that your choices are going to make this process easier or harder for you. And it's actually a gift to yourself. Like, why would you want to feel lethargic and like bloated, right? And and we're not like, I'm not perfect at it either, but we can make this process easier when we veer to more towards the whole foods as opposed to those things that have been highly processed. Absolutely. And I just want to mirror what you said, that it's not about not having refined carbohydrates. They are not the enemy. They're not quote unquote bad for us. A lot of the work we actually do inside best weight and inside the PCOS solution course is to develop a neutral relationship with these foods where they're really not that special and they don't get to drive, drive your choices or drive too much of, of that mental chatter. So a big component is to figure out how these foods fit into your lifestyle. And most importantly, just develop a really healthy relationship with these sometimes foods. So those, those refined carbohydrates. Yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So the last tip, the last tip, and this is, so once you got the nutrition down, you may still be having that craving for that 9 p.m. snack when the kids are in bed and you're watching TV or that afternoon snack when your boss sends you that really stressful email. And that's where a lot of the mindset work comes in, which we discuss in our weight loss module in the PCOS solution. And the key here is to understand your patterns for overeating. So overeating is simply eating when you're not hungry or past the point of comfortable fullness. So think of it as a five or six out of 10 in terms of your fullness levels. So what we call these is your high risk times of day. And typically what we see for women is their high risk time is around that three to 5 p.m. mark and that 7 p.m. till bedtime. So understanding your patterns for when you're eating when you're not hungry or past the point of comfortable fullness allows you the opportunity to start applying some tools such as tools from cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance commitment therapy to figure out what is driving that desire or that craving for food at that time when nutrition has been pretty consistent throughout the day. And an action step you can take here during your high-risk time is number one, map out your high-risk time. What time is it? What are you doing at that time? Who are you with? And then once you have that high-risk time mapped out, we will encourage you today to take what we call a compassion pause during your high-risk time and just ask yourself, what do I really need right now? If you're not having any physical hunger sensations, then it's not about the food. 
there's some other need that that food is fulfilling at that time. So just taking a pause and ask yourself, asking yourself, what do I really need at that high risk time is going to allow you to start doing some of this mindset work to figure out what's driving up that, that urge or that craving during your high risk times. Mm-hmm. So great. Yeah. So for anyone who's new to the podcast and you're just hearing me or us for the first time, we talk a lot about the cognitive side of things, which is really that, you know, there's, you know, there's only so much nutrition knowledge that you need. And at one, at some point, it really does come down to what are the beliefs that you carry around with you that cause you to enter into self-sabotage or you know, derail you or impact your ability to be consistent and resilient and keep on going when you've had a setback. And so I'll just give you an example. I just wanted to introduce an example. So we talk a lot about mindset. One example that I will see often with PCOS or anytime you're kind of like trying to change how you're eating is you see someone else who's, you know, seemingly just gets to eat whatever they want. And your thought is, well, I shouldn't have to eat this way. Like, why do they get to eat everything? And then that thought drives you to stop, you know, your attempts at making lifestyle changes or nutrition changes because it seems unfair. And you can absolutely justify that kind of thing to yourself, except at the end of the day, it doesn't give you the result that you're wanting, right? So this is where what we do is we really unpack like, okay, that would be a belief that you have or a thought, a cognition. So cognition is just a fancy word for a thought. The thought that comes into your mind and you feel justified by it and it gives you certain emotions and then you take action because of it. But at the end of the day, is it really helping you, right? Is it serving you to have that thought or do you want to believe like, you know what? I want to eat what's best for my body and I want to optimize my health. And yeah, my my body is different from my boyfriend or my partner or my best friend, but what an opportunity that I just get to eat for my body, right? And that's, you you mentioned at the beginning, it's learning how to eat for your hormones, your body. And so I just wanted to give you, get, give that an, as an example of what we call a limiting belief that just isn't serving you at the end of the day. And that's why we have to do the mindset work because really that is what takes people off course. It's not a lack of understanding of macros or nutrition. It's not reading more recipes or going on Pinterest and finding more clean eating recipes. Like that's not what makes change. What makes change is getting to the root of what gets in the way. And it's all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Absolutely. I could not agree more. So it's really after you tackle the nutrition, like you mentioned, Sasha, it's time to tackle the mindset and what beliefs, what thoughts, are getting in your way from really reaching your ultimate potential. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that, those are the top four. Let's talk about the last one. So myth number five is that the treatment for PCOS consists solely of going on some form of hormonal birth control. So the pill or, you know, an IUD or hormonal IUD, and you need to lose weight, right? And I like, we just, this is what I hear from so many women. And if you look at the endocrine society guidelines, also the recommendation is to lose weight and it doesn't even go beyond that. There's no like, but how do I do that? Right. Like, okay. As if I haven't been trying already, like what recommendations do you have? How do I go about losing weight? And so I just feel like so many women are given this information and then they're like, okay, bye, see you at your next appointment. And okay, it sounds like I'm knocking endocrinologists and I never want to knock my colleagues because our like our physicians work so hard. But I just think that there often isn't more support for what that could look like. So let's talk about 
Let's talk Absolutely. About and I think that's where women start seeking out inside best weight or the PCOS solution because there is just such a lack of guidance beyond the pill or weight loss. And women, we're smart and we want to get to the root of what's going on. So let's talk about it. So like you mentioned, research does support that weight loss and the pill can assist in managing the symptoms of PCOS. But the bottom line is that the pill, weight loss, these are tools in your toolbox, not necessarily the cure or or not necessarily uh, a permanent approach to sustaining some of these PCOS symptoms or managing these PCOS symptoms. So the most important treatment to work towards is the behaviors, the action steps that we can control. So the nutrition, the movement, the stress management, the sleep. Why? Because it's addressing the underlying hormonal imbalances, such as insulin resistance and high androgens that are seen in PCOS. If we're focusing on, quote unquote, the solution is weight loss or the pill, it's like we're putting our energy in the wrong direction. And I'll give you an example. Let's use weight loss as an example. Someone can lose weight in an unhealthy way. For example, they might go on an 800 calorie diet, a really restrictive diet, or they might actually be able to lose weight with eating one McDonald's meal every day, and they might see some short-term weight loss. But inevitably, the food choices that that person was making in terms of creating that weight loss could have actually been worsening that insulin resistance and it just is, would be unsustainable, that weight loss. So inevitably, it would lead to weight cycling, so that weight regain, and can actually worsen the health of a woman that's experiencing PCOS. So really, the goal is to first address the healthier behaviors. So we think of the healthier behaviors to manage that insulin resistance. We think of them as our pillars. So a proper sleep hygiene, movement, a balanced approach to eating to manage insulin resistance, there are a pillar. And then weight loss might occur, sustainable weight loss might occur as you're making all of these changes. But really, the core was the behavior change that was supporting the um, management of your PCOS. And the pill, let's talk about the pill. So research shows that the pill or oral contraceptives or birth control can assist. Like you mentioned previously, Sasha, it can assist in more regular menstrual cycles. It can lower androgens. However, what the research is showing that the pill actually works best with the lifestyle combinations to support the insulin resistance and those other underlying hormonal imbalances that occur with PCOS. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that what I want women to hear is not the pill or what we're recommending, but it could be an and situation, right? And that if we're really looking at how we can optimize health a pill might prevent, you know, illness, right? So going on the pill may reduce your risk of having endometrial cancer, which absolutely is important. But to optimize health, it's an and. It's what else can you do? And that's what we want to offer is that there are so many things we can do to optimize our lifestyle that just really honors our body. And that's everything that we're about that we, I talk about a lot is like, how can we honor our body here and really take care of this vessel that we have? Absolutely. I agree with you, Sasha, that it's, it's an and conversation. It's not that we're 
ruling out different approaches or different medical treatments. It's just, again, focusing on the empowered approach of what can you control to to manage your PCOS, what daily actions, what lifestyle can you live that supports your PCOS? And then all of these other medical treatments can absolutely still have really great benefit. But the research shows it is a combination that works best. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Teddy. Is there anything that you want to say in closing? Absolutely. So what I want to just end with is, again, just not just seeking permanent solutions and not letting your PCOS control your life. There are so many action steps, daily action steps that you can take. And you don't need to find all of the information out there. There's resources that are available. And that's why we created the PCOS solution where you don't have to do a scavenger hunt of the internet and figure out what's true and what's not true. And Mm -hmm. what that person said there there is a way to get everything in a really comprehensive method. And it's just about really being smart consumers and recognizing what the fluff is and what the myths are and putting your energy into the right fight where you can seek out those permanent solutions to live a life to support your PCOS and ultimately thrive way beyond your PCOS diagnosis. Yeah, so great. All right, so you've heard us talking about the PCOS solution. So our our team has developed a six-week self-paced PCOS. And our goal with this was really to address a need where we saw so many women coming to us and they you know, just, just were wondering, like, what can I do? And so we wanted to have a resource to provide And we give you the step-by-step guide to create your healthiest lifestyle. We address nutrition, we address exercise, we address sleep, we address supplements that can be beneficial. So if you're looking at like, should I be taking inositol? Should I be taking NAC? We go into all of that and the indications and the benefits. And it's really a holistic approach to managing PCOS. So this is our brand new course that we're launching right now. And we wanted to make it available to everyone. So up until September 15th, 2023, we are giving you $100 off. The course is only $197. Like we're giving it to you as a steal because we could have charged, like there is $1,000 of value in this course. We absolutely could have charged $1,000 for it, but we really wanted to make this as accessible as possible to so many women. So if you use the code podcast 23. So P-O-D-C-A-S-T 23. When you're doing the checkout, when you're doing your purchase process, you will get this course for $197 before September 15th. And after that time, it's going up to $297. In the course, you will have actually lifetime access. So although we've made it six weeks, we just want to encourage people to go through it, but really you get access for a lifetime. You will have access to the resources forever. You can always come back to it. You have the ability to ask us questions inside the course as well. So you can get the help and the support that you are needing. So go to sashahimd.com forward slash PCOS dash solution. And you can register there. You can get the course immediately sent to your inbox and you can get access to all of those materials. So we're really excited about this. We know that so many women are needing this and looking for this and have asked us so many questions about PCOS. And so there is our work for you so that we can support you. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to share this with a friend or a family member who may need it. Teddy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today. 
If you enjoyed listening to the High on Life podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and review it on Apple Podcasts.